listeners. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to a uh, home and podcast. Wait, that's not what this is. What is this? I wait. I thought this was armchair apocrypha. This Am is I at the wrong house? Uh, <laughs> it's across the hall. <laughs> <laughs> wrong recording studio. And by wrong recording studio, I mean wrong recording box. <laughs> wrong recording living room. <laughs> this isn't Earwolf. This is not Earwolf or Stitcher. We really need a studio, guys. <laughs> um, this is a studio. Yeah. No, it's not. It's a one-bedroom. It's yeah. a one-bedroom. <laughs> I've moved on up. <laughs> Slowly evolving Slowly. through the stages of adulthood. Um, this is Armchair Apocrypha, the uh, podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Um, I'm Andrew. This is my co-host. Rachel. Um, we're joined today by uh, frequent guests of the show, um, Katie and Cameron. What's up? Hi. And introducing our first appearance of our friend Matt. Hello. Hopefully you can hear Just him. Just say that the entire time. Hopefully you can hear me. Yes, I'm over yeah. in the corner. Yeah. The lines are moving. It looks like we can. Good. Um, you guys have uh, have your own podcast now. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, what, we do. What's it about? All right. Name of the podcast is "You're Going to Hate This," mm-hmm. and it's a weekly. Uh, not weekly. We haven't updated. It, <laughs> <laughs> it is aspirationally weekly. <laughs> um, pop culture review podcast. Uh, the gist of it is that every week uh, we each have a piece of uh, TV, movie, video game, something to review, something that we've never seen before, mm-hmm. and something that was recommended to us by uh, the other, by each other. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, I mean, pronouns are weird. But uh, <laughs> so for our first episode, for example, I what did I watch? I watched Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. and Katie read All Star Superman by Grant Morrison. I sure did. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, as the title implies, um, these are things that we like, but do not expect the other version to like. Yeah, and we try usually not to make each other miserable, <laughs> but um, do it for the vine. Episode three, I made Katie watch Boss Baby. <laughs> yeah, I still have not like brought myself to do that. We were just talking about that. Oscar <laughs> nominated Boss Baby. Oh my god! If you hear screeching you... from wherever you're listening to this, it's me watching Boss Baby. Are you allowed to drink while watching the movie? Ooh, good question. Can I be drunk? No, absolutely God sober. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking notes on Boss Baby. Oh, well, I'll still take notes. They just won't be readable. <laughs> so hopefully this episode will be up by the time this episode of the show's I think it will be. I'm sure it will. <clears throat> we need to set a date to yeah. record. <laughs> Tara, I just never see you. What did I make you do this time? This uh, Little, Watch Acad- Little Witch Academia. Yes! I made him watch a schoolgirl anime. Oh, nice. It's great. Nice. So... So look forward to that. When are you guys going to start having guests on? Uh, I don't know. Soon. We were thinking probably after our fourth I think we want to get four so. or five episodes in the can before we yeah. like really get a stride, figure out what we're doing. We can have a crossover episode. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. <laughs> that'd be so funny. Um, do you have anything to plug? How was your week? It was great. I'm so glad I'm tomorrow off. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I am. Don't plan on getting off this couch you guys are sitting on right now. <laughs> Fair enough. I actually don't have anything tomorrow either, so I can sit on my couch all day. That's what we did today until we came over here. (laughs) Matt, how was your week? Uh, My week has been good. Uh Hopefully I'm moving up in the world. Good. Just a little slightly. Yeah, that's right. Yay. Um, 
I'm doing nothing tomorrow. Hopefully, planning on watching the Oscars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, if you need a place, I might be streaming it on my TV. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See how that works out. Yeah. Do you want to uh, tell the the listeners your predictions? This will come out in like a month. I was so. about to say this comes out when <laughs> super timely. Let's talk Oscars. <laughs> um, let me see. For best picture, I had Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Best director, I had Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Best actor, I'm gonna go with Timothy Chalamet. Okay. Nice. Best actress. Who did I say I had for Best Actress? Um, you said um, Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand, that's right. Let's see. Supporting Actor. I'm going to go with... Um, Do you need to look at the list? Again? Sam Rockwell. Oh, yeah. Supporting Actress. I'm going to go with um, Allison Janney. Mm-hmm. Cinematography is going to be Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Adapted Screenplay is going to be... I'm going to go with Logan on that one. And original screenplay. What did I say for that one? Um, I want it to be Get Out. It's not going to be. It's Get not. Out. I, it's I not know. Be Get Out. But let me have my moment. <laughs> Three billboards. That's what it was. Three billboards. Isn't that is Sam Rockwell in that one? Yes. Yeah. I always remember that because I saw an exchange where his dad like commented on a review or something. It was like my son Sam is in this, and it was good, and it was really cute and like sincere. Really nice. And of course, animation is going to go to um, Coco. Coco. Actually, I'm going to say editing is going to go to Baby Driver. Ooh. Baby okay. Driver was really good. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it. It's, it's, it's incredible. We yeah. got it for Mary for Christmas. We yeah. should all really, watch really it. It's yes. really yeah. fun. Let's just store it at her place and go watch it. Yeah, yeah right now. No, it's a very good movie. <laughs> I have it on Blu-ray if we ever want to watch it sometime. Oh, yes. <laughs> good stuff. I don't know how you guys remember all that stuff. So I, like, awesome I haven't heard of half of these movies, and I certainly couldn't tell you who was in them other than Sam Rockwell because of his dad, yes. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I've got. Yeah. I guess you can... Check it out and see if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Go back, uh, yes. just Google who the winners were and compare it to his yeah. list, and uh, you'll know how right he was. And then if he uh, does really well, he can do it, come back and do it again next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. You'd be our Oscars <laughs> expert. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Someone predicted every time. <laughs> Oscars experts. Um, do you guys want to get into the show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I have another badass woman. Um, mm-hmm. Yay! Surprise! Uh, this one is actually lesser known. I just found out about her through Tumblr. Um, somebody found an old uh, uh, newspaper advertisement for a Miss Strayer's, uh, Miss Cora M. Strayer's private detective agency. Yes. I found my detective agency. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Shit. Um, were you at? Turn of the 19th century, or Perhaps. maybe she's Are you a vampire. Or a <laughs> I was not you only know me for a few years, Andrew. That's true. <laughs> um, so this was uh, this was a detective agency. Uh, it probably opened around 1902. Um, she may have backdated that a bit. She uh, said that it was established in um, 1890, but mm-hmm. uh, our person who found this newspaper is Paul Rada. And he said he can't find any records of the detective agency before 19. Well, then it's a good detective agency. That's yeah. Keeping their secrets. They're in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk about Cora Strayer. Um, and Paul Rada did a lot of this work, which is amazing. He has a timeline set up um, of all the stuff happening in her life. Um, from uh, 1869 up until her death and... Um, 
1932. Uh, so I'm just going to go through this timeline, and um, that'll be our episode. Uh, our so whole episode. The whole episode. <laughs> That's the whole episode. All these people are just here for more. <laughs> <laughs> you got this can't And I love you guys for it. So, um, 1869, Cora M. Strayer is the oldest of four children. She's born to Frank and Mahala Strayer in Elkhart, Indiana, which is only a, uh, cool. a couple hours north Not of us, right? Too yeah. far. I think yeah. it's actually very far north. Yeah. It's a. I remember them being in the news for sad reasons during the recession. Is I think it, they lost their factories or something. Is it like an hour north of uh, Indianapolis? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Is Indiana ever in the news for happy reasons? No. 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 It's, it's factories clothing, <laughs> closing, AIDS epidemics. Yep. All that good stuff. Since I first moved to the, the Midwest, I've never heard a happy story in Indiana. <laughs> I've been here my whole life, couldn't tell you one. Either. Wait a minute, they did save that air conditioning factory, right? Wait. <laughs> Wait, was that a Donald Trump thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> was that in Indiana? Ugh, of course it was. He did for a while, but yes, I don't think so. I think, oh, yeah, I think they did lay people off. Yes. It's by South Bend. So he saved like 100 jobs and then shut them down like yes. six months later. Probably. Yes. That sounds about right. Yes. Anyway, happy stories about Indiana. <laughs> um, at, uh, in 1885, at age 17, she marries George W. Murray in Elkhart. Elk- um, sometime in between 1885 and 1898, George dies. Um, so they were only together for a few years. They were not... Aww. I almost cheered. I actually... <laughs> what? She was really young, and I was like, Ooh, yeah. she's free to start her own business. Um. <laughs> it's kind of um. dark. <laughs> <laughs> But when you put it that way, <laughs> her husband died. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if they were happily married though, so it could be a cause for celebration. It could Maybe be. Maybe she possible. murdered him, and that's how she became a detective. I have, okay. She learned how to get rid of bodies. Now we're things. in the realm of speculation. Yes. I have, I have a theory. I have a theory that I'm going to mention later on, but I want to build this list up first. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm on track. You are on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, in, 19, in the 19th census, Cora lists herself as widowed and has giving uh, as giving birth to um, two children, both of whom were no longer living. Um, oh. So her husband probably died sometime in the 1890s, and her two children probably passed away sometime in there too. Oh. Um, in 1898, she is living at uh, 3819 Wabash in Chicago. Um, so she has gotten out of Indiana and moved up north and uh, made a place for herself in the city. Um, the first ad for her detective agency appears, as I said before, in 1902. At this time, she's living in a four-bedroom apartment uh, at 5453 Westlake in Chicago. It's $18 a month in rent. Which oh, my be, gosh. That would be about $500 in today's money. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In Chicago? Yes. That's insane. Um, That's all good. The apartment is above a tavern that is constantly being raided by the cops for illegal poker room oh. and a book a bookmaking operation. Wait, what do you mean? What's what do you mean bookmaking? Like, like no, like for like gambling. Uh, yeah, like a bookie. Like, yeah, yeah. Like a bookie. is that where the word bookie comes from? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they. Cook I the books. learned something. Um, so she's obviously, uh, as a detective, she's still living with kind of like the uh, the rogues and. Has a nice rogues gallery surrounding her. Um, I like that description. Yeah. In 1903, she uh, has she's profiled in the Chicago Tribune. 
under the headline Woman Directs a Detective Bureau, nice. which is one of Instead the most matter of her fact. name. It is <laughs> Woman Directs Detective Bureau. It could have been worse. Like, it could have been a lot worse. It's the opposite of clickbait, though. Like, the whole story is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she claims that she originally studied law and practiced as an attorney for several years before becoming a detective. I don't know if that's true or not. There's no records of her studying law. She's a detective. She is now a detective. Um, in 1905, uh, the first big ad uh, comes in the Chicago City Directory, complete with photos. Um, she's moved to 3104 Cottage Grove, and uh, her um, her detective a- agency has hired a George S. Holbin. Um, Holbin was involved in a robbery where his landlady was accusing him of drugging her and stealing $750,000 worth of diamonds. Oh my god! Um, which would be about 20 or $750 worth, which would be about $20,000 uh, worth of diamonds. He drugged today. her? That's... Like he was accused. Oh, he was accused. Allegedly. Okay. Uh, he was never prosecuted for it. Uh, the diamonds never showed up, but it's possible that Cora was somehow able to prove his innocence despite not having the diamonds. Hmm. Um, in 1906, her mother dies at the age of 60. Uh, her address is on Cottage Grove, not far from Cora, so her and Frank must have followed Cora up to Chicago at some point. Um, it's also possible that uh, at, in this time frame, Cora's detective agency is doing pretty well for themselves. Yeah. They have a lot of cases, so it's possible that Cora moved her parents up to Chicago with her. None of this is confirmed, but it's possible. Um, in 1907, she is hired by a Mrs. Campbell, who believes that a Mrs. Harris is writing fake letters in order to make it look like she's having an affair with Dr. Harris. Um, Cora takes Mrs. Harris on a trip to Milwaukee. Gets her drunk on $150 of fine wines. Whoa. Which I forget exactly what it translated to, but it was a lot. It was like. I was say. Yeah. If $18 is 500 bucks, then that's. That's yeah. a lot of wine. It was a lot of wine. Uh, she s- steals the letters from Mrs. Harris while she's passed out. Um, and it turns out that Mrs. Campbell and Dr. Harris were actually having an affair. And he performed an abortion. And eventually, Mr. Campbell, Mrs. Campbell's husband, killed Dr. Harris out of jealousy. This is like some wow. awesome... This is a Netflix show. Yeah, this for real. This sounds That's awesome. why I'm pitching it here. Um, <laughs> between 1905 and 1912, uh, ads for Miss Cora M. Strayer's private detective agency are appearing consistently in both the Chicago Tribune and the Blue Pages, which is the city directory. Mm-hmm. Um, so business was probably going pretty well. Uh, in 1908... Um, George Holbin has lost a diamond lapel button. Remember, George Holbin was accused of stealing diamonds. Yes. Now he's lost a diamond lapel button. Hmm. Conspiracy or How something? The tables more. have turned. Dun dun dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, in 1908, the first awesome copy of this uh, this uh, ad for her um, her detective agency appears. Um, it's what originally led Paul Rada to uh, look into her. It says, ladies, when in need of legal or confidential advice, why not confer with one of your own sex? That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I've been reading uh, Alias Grace yeah. by Margaret Atwood, and there's actually 
a really interesting segment in there where the doctor, uh, Dr. Jordan, talks about how, like, once he becomes a doctor, all these women, like, flock to him. And at first he's like, I'm not, like, good looking. Like, why is this? And it's because all these, like, repressed women are coming to him and they can tell him things that they can't tell anyone else because uh, they're not really allowed to talk about their bodies. That's kind of what that makes me think yeah. of is, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um... In 1909, there's another article written about her. Um, it's called Business Women Who Have Made a Success of Bossing Men, which is kind of the, the bad headline. That yeah, that's not really good. Uh, Cora is one of the subjects of a full-page article in the Sunday Tribune about female business owners. Uh, in it, we learn that Holbin was her first employee and that she, uh, she is moving her office um, the also the article also features a photograph of her and Holbin in the office. Uh, in 1910, Cora lists herself as widowed but living with George Holbin, who was remember the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, careful. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cora lists her profession as a detective, and George is a journalist. Quote unquote. Uh, later that year, December 5th, 1910, George Holbin is shot and killed by Stephen Ayers. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> Stephen Ayers was a 33-year-old disgruntled ex-employee of the detective agency. Ayers claimed that he met Cora in Seattle over the summer and that they traveled along the West Coast with each other. He says that Cora invited him to Chicago with the promise of a job and marriage, but that she was... Uh, being denied by Holbin. Cora denies any love affair and says that she ordered Ayers fired due to unreliability. The murderer gets coverage all the way in Los Angeles and Ayers is uh, sentenced to 15 years in prison. Mm. In 1913, he escapes from prison but is caught two days later. <laughs> this is so dramatic. It's so good. I there would love to watch a show of this. Like So much material. <laughs> I'm going to show when you guys leave. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somewhere between 1911 and 1912, Cora marries a man named Robert L. Fortune. L. He, Fortune? Robert Fortune. That's a fake name. That's got to be a That's fake a fake-ass name. Right? Ass name. <laughs> it's a good fake name. Bob Fortune. <laughs> he works in real estate, quote-unquote. <laughs> real estate, <laughs> quote-unquote. <laughs> Cora is 43 and Fortune is 24. She's only 24 at this time? She's done all this shit? Yeah. Oh my Damn. God. She's a boss. I am way older than her. No, Cora is 43. Fortune is... Oh, okay. Oh. I was like... She's yeah. still a That's boss. That's what I thought. Yeah. Fortune like, is 24. I thought she'd been running this business for years at this point. Cora is yes. 43. She has. She's, oh, fuck her then. 44. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> she's been running this business for about 10, 10 years now. She started out when she was 33. Never too late, ladies. We're not there yet. We've, we've got, we can, we've got time. We can still start our own uh, detective agency. We could. Yeah. Thank goodness. All I was worried I wouldn't be able it. to. What would we call it? it? <laughs> the cryptid crew. The cryptid crew. We'll try and help you out, I guess. <laughs> Dot ink. Dot ink. Um, in February of 1913, Robert Fortune dies. Like he just dies? Yeah, he, uh, he had a uh, oral cancer. Oral oh, damn, he was only like twenty something. Yeah, he was twenty five. With oral Tobacco's cancer, that bad. They were, they were only married for about a year. Wow, that's suspicious. Yes, I mean cancer. Suspicious. You're <laughs> <how> delicious. <laughs> Referring to my earlier theory, 
You think she's her like... Her first husband yeah. died. Her lover, Holbin, died. Mm-hmm. Her possible third lover is in prison. Mm-hmm. And her second husband is now dead. Damn. That's some this. rotten luck. That's some bad luck. <laughs> For um, them, she's fine. Yeah, she's, she's doing fine. just dandy. <laughs> Um, she did pay a lot of money for his uh, treatments um, and it later bankrupted her so it's possible that um, his okay well now I'm, now I'm not getting like yeah his cancer may have bankrupted her um, which would be a good reason to kill him hmm. um, oh that's not where I was going with that <laughs> huh. you're you, thinking that that like that proves her love yeah yeah that, that proved that she had nothing to do with it hmm. it could go either way I'm just saying, like, the four men connected to her all died within a couple of years. Or maybe he's the one who did it because he's like, I know that she's poor now because of me. That's possible, too. Hmm. To me, she sounds like a black widow. She does. I was thinking that, too. I think someone ought to hire a detective to sort this out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know just the one. Uh, in 1914, she becomes a colonel with the 1st Volunteer Woman's Cavalry Regiment. Oh, badass. Which is not where I saw the story going at all. No, me either. Uh, Wait, how old was she? Uh, in 1914, uh, she would have been... She would have been, like, in her 40s. 45. Damn. Wow. Uh, That's what I plan on doing. I'm 45. <laughs> doing the cavalry! <laughs> Forming the cavalry. Forming? Oh, she my She started the cavalry. Uh, she uh, wanted to go to Mexico to fight the border war. Uh, in April 1914, the regiment has 100 women. In May of 1914, it has 200 women. Cool. Nice. She picked up uh, 100 women in just a couple months. I'd follow her. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a quote here uh, from her. It says, uh, do you want to wait until all the men are killed to do your duty, sisters? A woman that would stand and let a man do all the fighting and suffering for his country is not a soldier. She belongs in the effete ranks of those who hurry abroad when the trouble starts. Pooh. She's not even working with the ballot. Pooh. Damn. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Pooh. I love that <laughs> Keep going, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1918, I'm guessing this is after the war. Sounds like me. This is me. Uh, Cora is hired by the friends of a Mrs. Russell, who thinks her husband is having an affair. She is joined by, on a stakeout by the police, who want to bring up Mr. Ruffle and, uh, Mr. Russell and his mistress on morals charges. The situation... Morals. morals. What does that mean? Oh, you can just like, like adultery in general? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, Who gets murdered this time? Nobody gets murdered. Uh, the uh, stakeout culminates in a car chase up Lakeshore Drive with Cora in pursuit behind the wheel of her black stand. Awesome! <laughs> this is season three right here. <laughs> season three, take a break for the war, come back for the uh, the uh, car chase up yeah. Lakeshore Drive. Hell yeah. Um, in 1920... Uh, Cora is still living in uh, is still living at twenty eight thirty eight Indiana, but her retired father Frank has now moved in with her. Um, in May nineteen twenty three, the office has moved to forty nine thirty three South Michigan Avenue. She has moved like seven times. I like yeah. the one thing they have down there: her addresses over time. Yeah, because they have public records. Yeah, yeah, the advertisements yeah. through the years and. Uh, oh, I know, but yeah, it's like the one solid thing we get. That's cool though. In uh, 1927, her father dies in Chicago. Um, it doesn't list his age, but he was old. Yeah. Must have been, yeah. Um, I still think she killed him. Oh, I think so. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, on her 1930 census form, Cora lists herself as Cora Fortune. She says she is 61 years old now, a widow, and can read and write. She pays $40 a month in rent. Oh, my god, Which is a lot. Um, she is still working. That, that's like uh, 1200 a month. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, she is still working, owns her own business, and declares her profession to be, quote-unquote, investigator. <laughs> oh. Uh, the last ad appears in December 1930. Um... The office is now at 5834 South Wentworth, um, and in 1932, Cora May uh, Strayer Fortune dies in Chicago. She is 64. Nice. What a life. Solid. Yes, a very colorful life. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I need that to be a Netflix series, so somebody write that for me. Yes, yes. please. That sounds... I would watch that the shit out of so that. That so cool. Uh, I don't know. They're putting out 700 shows this year. That might be one of them already. That might be. I would, I would watch <laughs> that. Uh, this. Oh, mine does that too. Always messes yeah. me up when I do that. I do completely buy the theory that she was a murderer. A murderess. A murderess. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not saying that she was. I'm just saying it's suspicious. It it's is kind of suspicious. <laughs> I mean, people die all the time. Yeah. Like, it's like you suspicious just that all these die. people in the past are now dead. Rachel, get a what are you going to talk about? Drink after I talk about okay. So I'm trying to keep it short, <laughs> but let's see how this goes. So I didn't have any time until right after I got off work before I came here, but this is something I want to talk about, and it's timely for us, but not for them. So I'm just going to get into a brief, weird history of the Academy Awards. Oh, <laughs> fun! This is why I thought you were doing that. I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> okay, so this concept of an award show honoring people in the film industry was the idea of Louis B. Mayer, the head of MGM Studios at the time. It is technically a nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement and improvement of the film industry. Mm. Yes, it's I know. It's worked. Movies are better than ever. <laughs> <laughs> And the first Academy Awards presentation was held on May 16th, 1929, at a private dinner function at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. The attendance was about 270 people. A ticket to the event cost a whopping $5. Dang. And in today's money, that would be $71. That's really reasonable. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Fifteen statues were handed out at that time. Now it's 24 um, honoring artist directors and other participants. The ceremony, <laughs> can't cooperate this, but it made me laugh, lasted 15 minutes. Wow. It was like an after party. Um, well, that's why it was only 15 minutes. They're like, come on, that, get to the booze. Well, yeah. also get into another reason why it would probably be that short, too. So, um, like, you know, one of the big things about the Oscars are the envelopes. Like, mm-hmm. they see them come with the freaking briefcases, yeah. and there's even a Fuck up last year with the moon, uh, moonlight winning, yes. but then calling out the wrong person. La La Land. Yeah, La La Land. Um, so for the first Academy Award, the winners were announced three months earlier. So these people already knew that they had won. So they it was just more of like a presentation award, like here's your award. Right. Now let's have an after party later or afterwards. So I don't really, they didn't say if they were like thank you speeches or anything. It wasn't like it was ever broadcast. Mm-hmm. And they probably just went up, said thank you and left, to be yeah. honest. Um, but that did change the next year, in 1930. Um, the results were given to newspapers for publication at 11 p.m. on the night of the awards so that they would give oh. it out afterwards. 
They did this for about a decade, or not about, for a decade, until the Los Angeles Times, those greedy fuckers, <laughs> announced the winners before the ceremony <gasps> began. Oh. Because of that, since 1941, they have used sealed envelopes to reveal the names, i.e. the two people who carry the briefcases all that stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Um, at the first Academy Awards, the jazz singer, which was like the first talkie to movie, was not allowed to compete for Best Picture because the Academy decided it was unfair to let movies of a sound compete with silent films. That's interesting. Actually, fun fact, there was no Best Picture category at the first Oscar ceremony. They called it something else. There were two categories. Yes. One was most outstanding production. Mm -hmm. The second one was most unique feature, I believe. Huh. Cool. Yeah, they unique did. Unique and artistic production. It's like unique and artistic. Mm. Um, they should bring that back. I like that. Yes. So the one who won what they considered the best picture at the time was Wings. Yes. And it was the most expensive film at the time with a budget of $2 million. That's a lot of money. Is that the Howard Hughes film or is that No, film? no okay. it's not Howard Wings, Hughes. Wings, it is a World War II film. It stars Clara Bow. World War I. World War I. <laughs> and uh, what stands out in it is the aerial dog fights that were done in that film. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, literally actors... Who did not know how to fly a plane or put in a plane <laughs> fly, and they put the camera on the front of the plane to yeah. film them. Mm-hmm. They were actually flying? Yes. That's yes. the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. Have you seen those? I have not. <laughs> but that's. First of all, it's terrifying enough to be in those fucking planes because yeah. they're like death traps. Yeah. But to have to act while you're. Oh, no. I can't even think about that. Yeah. That's too stressful. It's, a pretty, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Um, so. Everyone's already heard about this. Like, how did they get the nickname the Oscars? Um, they began officially using it, calling it the Oscars instead of the Academy Awards since 1939. There are three stories, and no one knows which one is true. Betty Davis claimed that the name derived from her observation that the backside of the statue looked like that of her husband, Harmon Oscar Nielsen. <laughs> Don't believe that one. That's really far stretched. Yes, of course, Betty Davis would claim that. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, too. That would, like, in true Betty Davis form. Yes. Um, By backside, do you just mean the reverse of the statue? Or his or, actual butt. Like, polite word for butt. Yes, I'm going to say um, I think it's probably the whole backside. Yeah. Columnist Sidney Skolsky maintained that he gave the award to its nickname to negate pretension. Pretension. Oh, pretension. Yes. It's not pretentious. Um, yeah. <laughs> how much? How good is a statue named Oscar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then also, Margaret Herrick, who was like part of like the, like, secretary or like something to do with the Academy Awards, declared that the statue looked like her uncle Oscar. And that one I've heard before. That is the one that I've heard. Yeah. Um, and that's the one I've heard most often. But they say you never. We don't really know for sure. Um, the Academy Awards were first televised in the U.S. in 1953, and then 16 years later, in 1969, they have been broadcast internationally, and as you know, it's like, it's almost as big as the Super Bowl, with yeah. drawing its viewers. Yeah. Um, so now I'll get into the actual Oscar statuette itself. Um, the design for the award, a knight standing on a reel of film and holding a sword, is credited to MGM art director Cedric Gibbons. Sculptor Greg Stanley was commissioned to create the original statue based on Gibbon's design. For many years, the statue was cast in bronze with 24 karat gold plating, but obviously during World War II, the statues were made of plaster because of metal shortages, and now they're made of gold plated um, 
Britannium. Uh, the, the design, however, has remained unchanged with the exception of the pedestal base. Um, they increased the height in 1949. It's 13.5 inches and weighs 8.5 pounds, which makes me roll my eyes because I hate it every time someone goes and says, yes, this does weigh so much more than I expected. Like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Please use your time wisely on stage. <laughs> Never heard that joke before. <laughs> um... So, another thing is engraving. So, your names are engraved on the Oscar when you win. Mm. Uh, to prevent information, um, I didn't find who the Oscar winners are beforehand because only the people who have the briefcases and the envelopes and all that stuff right. from leaking ahead of the ceremony. Oscar statuettes present the ceremony have blank base plates. Okay. Until 2010, winners were expected to return the statues to the Academy after the ceremony and then wait several weeks for them to have the, their inscriptions in, applied. But since 2010, winners have had the option of having engraved nameplates applied to their statues at the um, governor's ball the party held afterwards. Huh. Um, in 2010, R.S. Owens Company made 197 engraved nameplates ahead of the ceremony bearing the names of every potential winner. <laughs> so the 175 or so nameplates for non-winning nominees were recycled afterwards. Huh. I've seen that. I've seen them show pictures of them in line getting their uh, like engravings. Yeah. Huh. Yes. Um, it's like the uh, losing Super Bowl team has all these t-shirts for yeah. like congratulations Super Bowl winner, winners and those get sent to uh, third world countries yeah huh. so you'll see pictures of impoverished children wearing t-shirts that say like congratulations 2017 who lost the Patriots yeah uh, 2018 yeah. Patriots lost yeah yeah hmm. I didn't know that mm-hmm. yeah. it's better than being destroyed I guess yeah so <laughs> Ownership of the statue. This one I've heard before, but I found it, I find it so interesting. So since 1950, the statuettes have been legally encumbered by the requirement that neither the winners nor their heirs may sell the statues without first offering to sell them back to the Academy for $1. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, if the winner refuses to agree to this stipulation, then the Academy keeps the statue. Damn. Academy Awards not protected by this agreement have been sold in public auctions and private deals for six-figure sums. Wow. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I read a couple, but then I decided to keep it out for time's sake. Um, so now I'm getting into fun facts and questions, and then I realize now that these are all too easy that Matt's going to get them, so Matt can't answer. <laughs> oh, come on. Only when they don't get it right. Okay. You can answer it, because I kept it really short. Only did three. Three. Oh. All right. But I feel like they might get this, too, so... Um, at 234 minutes, it is the longest of all movies to win Best Picture Award. Uh, Gone with Wind? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yep. Um, only X-rated <laughs> film to win Best Picture. Isn't that Midnight Cowboy? Yes. I knew that way. Cameron, your turn. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I knew that. <laughs> the country that has had the most number of wins for Best Foreign Language Film. Um, I'm going to say France. No, they're in second. Uh, oh, that was really my close. guess. Japan? No. Italy? Yes. Ah, that makes sense too. Um, and then three films have um, won eleven Oscars. Can you name all these three films? Okay, Clay Baker. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the kind of questions we get at trivia. Yeah, and uh, we always get them wrong unless Matt's there. Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. That's one. Wait, was the question again? Um, three films have won eleven Oscars. Um, I feel like one of them did it really recently. 
I, I have no answer because I'm going to make a fool of myself. <laughs> That's fine. Porky's 2. No. <laughs> Gremlins. <laughs> you guys got all three. <laughs> was Titanic on there? Yes. Oh, you guys were guests. Titanic was on. Titanic, Return yeah, of the King was the last one. I'm, okay. I was it King Kong? No. Oh. I was thinking Peter Jackson. Early. I'm thinking Epic. Ben-Hur. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, who has hosted the Oscars the most at 19 times? Billy Crystal. No. no. Ellen DeGeneres. No. <laughs> God. I'm thinking it's, um, oh God, what's his name? He was with Bing Crosby in the road movies. Um, Bob Hope? Yes. Bob Hope. Great job, guys. Yay! Yay. Alright, so Team the last work. thing I have <laughs> is what I like to call shitty statistics. Shitty I.e. Oh diversity at the Oscars. <laughs> we need a segment. You guys need a segment. Every podcast is just shitty statistics. I, will, I love statistics. I will give you shitty statistics. And there are some pretty shitty statistics. I'll let Rachel do that. In 2012, the results of a study conducted by the Los Angeles Times were published describing the demographic breakdown of approximately the um, 88% of the people who get to vote for the Academy, like people in the Academy. Of the 5,100 plus active voters confirmed, 94% are white, 77% are male, and 54% are over the age of 60. I'm 33% of voting, of voting members are former nominees and winners. As of... Okay, so this is what... I, I could go so much more into this, but I try to keep it. Um, as of 2016... Um, and that was the year that I don't know. I remember that it got a huge backlash yeah. as it should have. It was the there were zero non-white nominees in any of the acting categories for the second year in a row. Hashtag Oscar so white. Mm. Yes, yeah. that is when. Yes, isn't that when? Um, what's for his the name? Second year in a row. Yeah. Uh, well, what's who name? hosted? Um, it was Chris Rock that year. Yeah, it was Chris, yeah. Rock. Chris Rock. Yeah. That was yeah. yeah. Um, so 6.4% of the acting nominations of the total 1,668 since the awards began in 1929 have gone to non-white actors. 6, 6.4%. Isolating just for the past 25 years when there have been slightly more roles for them, only 56 actors, 11.2% of the total were non-white. Um, now let's go into... Um, Men and female. So, as we all know, when it comes to directors, those who have won, all of them have been male except for one female from Catherine, Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Hurt Locker. Um, number of movies eligible for Academy Award in the United States in 2017, um, there were 274 that were actually eligible. And for Best Director, made by male, were 224. And by female was 50, meaning 82% male directors were eligible and only 18% were eligible that year. And as we, or as you know, that only five female directors have ever been nominated for Best Director. And that includes the one nominated this year because they don't give them out to them. I had this whole rant, but I need to hold it in because I get really pissed. <laughs> it's so fucking Your pissed. face did just turn really red. <laughs> That's what the podcast is for, Rachel. Go ahead. That would be Greta Gerwig for this year. Yeah, for Lady. Yeah. For Lady Bird. Um, so, for when it comes to people winning Best Actress and Best Actor, for those who, going back to like uh, race, um, for Best Actresses, it's 
actually I'll go start with best actor. Ninety three point two percent have been white and six point eight percent have been they don't say it's just literally other than white. I believe best actor, the only two black actors that have won have been Sidney Poitier and Denzel Washington. I believe. Didn't Jamie Foxx win? Yes, Jamie Foxx. I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, it has a number on they actually showed numbers. And I have it on here, but I don't know how to do my computer when it's flipped like this. <laughs> but I can get to that in a little bit when someone else is talking. <laughs> and then for Best Actresses, 98.9% have been white, and only 1.1% have been not white. Jesus. That's so bad. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really frustrating. <laughs> Awful. Um, why is that doing that? Oh, I think I'm touching it. I think only Halle Berry has been the black winner for that category. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I'm going to look that. I'll look that up again. I'm pretty sure it was Halle Berry. Um, I can't think of anyone else. So, to lend uh, <laughs> it's not even a positive note, um, just to round it up with not those shitty statistics. Um, <laughs> those were some shitty statistics, <laughs> though. Difference now I'm mad. <laughs> the, most, the most popular words and acceptance speeches for best acting categories from 1988 to 2013 have been thank you, academy, dad, mom, Parents, <laughs> I can't oh believe God. God's not in there. Well, then they, it went to like cast crew, and then the final two were husband and wife. Okay, God. but those had like very small numbers, like very barely any. God is always at the grand. Oh shit! Oh, yes. that's right. God was third. I'm God, sorry. God is third. Oh, it was thank you. Academy was two. God was third. M- uh, Mom was fourth, and Dad was fifth. But they were like they were. On par with each other. At least mom was like above dad. Maybe that's our like diversity. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Ah, have so much rage right now. So oh, I can't rage. help but think of all the uh, dads that don't support their children in artistic endeavors. That yeah. seems to, that's what I took away from that is that mom is more supportive when you say you want to be an actor. True. So, you know, I don't know how to get back to my online access. There it is, Google Chrome. There we go. Um, oh, yeah, and... Anyway, oh, never mind. Um, oh, yeah, this is another great one. One last thing to end off of. This is actually better. This is a good one to end on. So, there has been an increase in number of baby names after Academy Award winners were named. Hmm. So, <laughs> in 2000, when Benicio Del Toro won, Benicio went up in name by 1,971%. Because it's an awesome name. (laughs) (laughs) Right behind that was, in 1989, Denzel went up at 746%. Another really good name. And then... Denzel is better than Benicio. Just saying. Actually, after all that, it's all female names, but then it was like um, Gwyneth at 438% in 1998. Ew. Gina... <laughs> in 1988 at 272 and then we'll go on from there but those are that that was a really the statue's so much more like visually appealing. But now mm-hmm. I hope that you guys know what. I feel so much more educated now when I watch when I don't watch it because I <laughs> almost I never do, it. and I yeah. feel bad about it because I love movies. It's like Matt's Super Bowl every year. It is. I know you talk about it for like a week in advance. <laughs> cool. 
Um, which one of you wants to go first? I'm going to go first. My battery's almost dead. Okay. <clears throat> what are you going to talk about? All right, I'm going to light things up here with a uh, <laughs> what are you? story about the raid of Newburgh. Of Newburgh, Indiana? Newburgh, Indiana. That is my hometown. That's uh, where I was born and where I lived until I went to college. The place you've all heard of, right? Newburgh, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> right on the Ohio River. It's part of the Evansville metropolitan area. Um, doesn't matter. <laughs> Apparently it does because there was a battle there. Story about Newburgh, Indiana and, quote, the most re- reckless and yet most successful military masterstroke achieved by any commander of high or low authority in either army during the war, that being the Civil War, according to historian Edmund L. Sterling. So Newburgh, Indiana, formerly known as Sprinklesburg, before that... I'm sorry, what was that? Sprinklesburg. <laughs> Amazing. Sprinklesburg. What the would they change the name? <laughs> Newburgh was founded later and absorbed Sprinklesburg, and they renamed the whole area Newburgh. They absorbed Sprinklesburg? Before Newburgh and Sprinklesburg, they were known as unnamed Mississippi and Shawnee Territory. Founded around 1929 or so. Current population about 3,200. So not not a huge place. Yeah. Um, about three things of note have happened from Newburgh. It is the home of Michael Rosenbaum, who is known as TV's Lex Luthor on the hit CW show Smallville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember him. Like 20 years. He went to my high school, which is Castle High School, which is a place where I will not be attending my 10-year reunion this fall. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I'm glad because that means I have to go too and I'm not about it you're not going we're not going <laughs> and additionally it was home of one of the silliest moments of one of the least silly periods of United States history so the Civil War started in 1861 and no one knows why <laughs> I this, don't think that's true I think that's- no one, no one seems to know why the United States like fought with each other like this. Why the South was fighting against the North? Uh, I think it was, it was all about states' rights. States' rights. Yes. What we those rights right. are, we will never know. We don't know. <laughs> Our textbooks come from Texas. We have no idea what <laughs> the Civil War was fought over. I'm pretty sure it was slavery. Uh, what's wrong that? Here? Agree to disagree. <laughs> it's actually called the War of Northern Aggression. Here. Right. Northern Aggression. <laughs> yes, it's that's what they call it. Every time I hear that, I think of Skyrim. Yeah. So Newburgh and Old Indiana were on the side of the Union, which you wouldn't know if you looked at any of the bumper stickers in that area. (laughs) But um, right across the river is Henderson, Kentucky, and Kentucky was more or less a neutral party in the uh, Civil War. Mm -hmm. They were allied with the Union strictly, never seceded, although they seemed pretty sympathetic with the South. Um, Enter Adam Rankin Johnson, a Henderson native. He was a colonel in rank, but seemingly not active. Um, in Henderson, he recruits 35 civilians to join him as guerrilla soldiers. On July 18, 1862, Johnson and his men crossed the Ohio River from Henderson to Newburgh, positioning two cannons on the Kentucky side, aimed squarely at my hometown, right across the river. Did you see it? Did you see the cannons? Are they still there? No, no, we'll get to that. Okay. A man named Unit Union Bethel. Union Bethel. His name is Union? His name is Union, and he commanded the Indiana Legion for the Union Army. Wow. Oh my gosh, what He was, like, born for this role. Yeah. I'm ready. (laughs) He was currently stationed in Newburgh and was storing weapons for the Union in a tobacco warehouse he owned. The only ones there to defend it were some 80 soldiers that were currently staying at a nearby Exchange Hotel, which was currently being converted into a hospital. So between the hotel and the warehouse, there were 75 swords, 130 pistols, and additional arms and supplies, medical supplies, rations, 
for 200 soldiers. So Johnson barges into this hotel where most of that stuff's being kept, and like a scene from a movie is greeted with 80 rifles pointed directly at his head. And how does he take them all down? He informs these armed soldiers that they are surrounded, which they weren't. His 35 men are just kind of walking in and out of sight around the building to make it look like there are tons of them. That's amazing. Awesome. So where was Union Bethel at this time? And he was on lunch. Way to go, guy. Uh, Take, uh, his, you mean they had lunch breaks? He was taking his he lunch break. He was out? He was having a lunch while they were being raided. Um, I'm on my lunch break, but as soon as I get back, I'll help you find that stuff, sir. <laughs> so he runs to the hotel in civilian attire to verbally protest the raid. They, they didn't listen. Way to go, guy. Verbally yeah. protest. I mean, I admire his saying. The soldiers staying nearby in Evansville were unable to assist because the telegraph lines were down. Way to go, guys. <laughs> Newburgh so becomes the first town in the Union to be captured. Johnson secures the items he wants and returns to Kentucky with his men. This all took place in the course of one afternoon. They came in, they occupied, they took our stuff, and they went back. So, hey, in a twist... Um, those two cannons they had over in Kentucky aimed at us, the, the main like, power of theirs, the huge threat, the reason we surrendered, were a stovepipe and a charred log propped up on wagon wheels. Nice. <laughs> that is amazing. This earned Adam Johnson the nickname Adam Stovepipe Johnson. Oh my god. <laughs> stovepipe. He never lived it down. A so, name that will live in infamy. Johnson went on to raise cavalry in Kentucky with his new supplies, training several new new uh, Confederate soldiers. Soldiers from Indianapolis eventually came down to occupy Henderson in retaliation. That occupation stayed until the war ended, I believe. Uh, rests were made in Newburgh because apparently there were several people in our town that were on their side and helped along and conspirated. So that's how 35 men took over. Um, people on our side were sympathetic and helped. Wow. So uh, nowadays, if you go to Newburgh... Um, I don't recommend it, but if you go to Newburgh, <laughs> there is a sign along the river, a memorial plaque that details in shorter detail what I just said. And if you grew up in Newburgh, you've had history teachers and parents tell you this story since you were a kid because it's the it's funny. It's the thing that happened. It's one of those things that it's so detached from history that it doesn't matter that it's super embarrassing and shameful. And it's a story about the Confederates winning a, winning a victory against a bunch of gullible hicks. But it's funny, and um, every year uh, Newburgh does annual reenactments of the raid, posted awesome. by the Newburgh, Newburgh Museum. I have not been. They <laughs> started. They, like, they started this after I left. They started this after I moved out. Like stove and charred log. I assume they do. I assume they've got replicas of the. Uh, and people like that's amazing. <laughs> I assume they have replicas of the fake cannons. I'm all for going to see a reenactment break. like that. I don't know. I do not know. Well, apparently we all need to go road trip to Sprinklesburg. <laughs> Sprinkle. Every time we go Sprinkle there now, Town. that's what yeah, I'm going to call it. Sprinklesburg. Yeah. I, don't know Sprinkle. you Sprinkle. I feel like you probably have because I wasn't as shocked as I should. Have, yeah, but I love it. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> but Union Bethel. And Stovepipe Johnson and all the soldiers would later go on to uh, die eventually because this was the 1800s. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sure story. I thought you... Never mind. Yours was... That's the Civil uplifting. War. That's the entire story of the Civil War. That's all I, that's, that's all I can scrape together on this this weird afternoon in Newburgh, Indiana. And after those supplies were stolen in Newburgh, Indiana, Lee and Grant met at Appomattox Courthouse. And they decided, and it was they decided to end the Civil War. <laughs> 
Well, that's the story of the, the first, and I don't know how many there were, but one of the first, the absolute first uh, Union territory captured during the Civil War. Cool. Home of TV's Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> if not for them, would he exist? Oh man! Interesting. I don't want to live in a world where Michael Rosenbaum, <laughs> Michael Rosenbaum. where Michael Rosenbaum doesn't exist. He Which played the crystal guy in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy too. He was Stallone's oh, friend. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, if we're gonna get rid of Lex Luthor, can we get rid of Jesse Eisenberg instead? Yeah, let's just. I think that's a better Lex Luthor yeah. to get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think you're gonna find an argument here. No. That's... Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. So if we ever find that way to like do the whole time warp thing, yeah. yeah. Taking a bold, bold declaration here. This podcast is anti, anti Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor. Now dedicating, Rachel, we are dedicating our time to determining uh, time travel in order to prevent Jesse Eisenberg from becoming Lex Luthor. We had to eliminate one Lex Luthor. I have to be honest, though. Lex Luthor? Yeah. In the bad ones. In the Batman Superman movies, the new ones, yeah. I have to say, like, I don't think he's the reason those are bad, but, I mean, it couldn't hurt. I'm sure he's not great in them. He's like a microcosm of why they're bad. He's a symptom. He's not the cause. He's in the ones that are out now? Yeah, I guess he's kind of playing it as, like, a young Silicon Valley billionaire. Yeah. Which is counter to Lex Luthor's real thing, which is, like, you know, he's inherited his wealth. But he's also, he's also kind of, like, uh, twitchy and, like... His performance is so over-the-top, it's comical. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He's more like the Joker than he is Lex Luthor. Cool. I've heard that. Anyways, cool. huh, anyways, that's what we need. We need another uh, Joker movie. Yeah. You mean another Batman movie? No. You mean Jared so Leto wasn't of... good in Suicide Squad? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see it. That's right. We have a Joker, don't we? And we're getting a Joker movie. Martin Scorsese's producing one, yes. possibly with Joaquin Phoenix playing another Joker. Uh, yes, Joaquin Phoenix has apparently been cast. Very strange. Really? I actually really like Joaquin Phoenix, but I don't know that I would. I think he would be better than Jared Leto. Yeah. Anything. But I'm so oversaturated on Batman. I've told Cameron yeah. this before, and he gets so sad and upset every time. I don't care if I ever see another Batman movie. Like, I'm so over Batman. Uh, and I really, like, I don't movie. have anything against Batman, but I'm so oversaturated. Movie. movie, that's fine. But I've got every season of Batman the Brave and the Bold, and we are <laughs> marathoning that shit. Okay. Okay. That show rules. I. What is the movie that we saw in theaters, the animated one? Um, oh god, oh, that the was the killing joke. Yeah, that was an adaptation of the killing oh, no, joke. Oh, you yes. saw the killing joke in theaters? Yeah, yeah, it was okay. The animated, like, it was okay. The animation was, wasn't made for theaters, and the story itself has not aged. Well. It was yeah. it's hella problematic, but I just like listening to Mark Hamill. Yeah, that's that's a good take. <laughs> away the the from best that. take is that it was one more excuse to have Mark Hamill play the Joker, yeah. and he's just about the only good Joker we've ever had. Yeah. I would beg to differ on that. <laughs> Cesar Romero's okay, but really, Frank Gorshin was the star oh, of the no. Batman oh, Adam West stop. era. <laughs> this is too Nicholson, this is too Nicholson's fine. What would you have to teach us, Kate? <laughs> I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about the making of one of my favorite movies. Jurassic Park. Oh yes. my gosh. I wore this shirt and I also brought a prop because I think we should watch it after this because it's like one of my favorite yes. movies. And you can tell this DVD is like hella old because it's like if you look at the back of the case, like it's like wearing through the plastic. Yeah. It's so old. 
Um, she brought a prop. She did not say what the prop is. It is a DVD of the Mario Brothers movie. No, <laughs> it's not. I would never suggest very, anyone very else similar to that. dinosaur effects to Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, even better plot. Jurassic Park is too sacred. Don't make fun of it. All right, I'm ready to like fangirl over this movie. Yeah. Okay. Let's it. talk about Jurassic Park. So, I'll tell you my favorite scene. Tell me your favorite scene. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you my Okay. It's everyone's favorite. Um, um, Michael cried in the book, right? Yes. So, I actually... It's a book? I'm just joking. First, <laughs> I first read Jurassic Park in the fifth grade, yeah. which is way too fucking young. If you've yes. read it, it's extremely violent and technical. And I have no, I definitely understand like half of it, but I knew it was about dinosaurs. I loved the movie growing up because I was such a tomboy and like that was just my thing. Like yeah. I fucking love dinosaurs. Yeah. And I like had it on VHS and it was one of the first DVDs I ever owned along with Lost in Space with Matt LeBlanc. Wow. Which is a terrible <laughs> fucking movie. Yes. It's really it was on Netflix and I was like, I'm gonna watch this for nostalgia reasons and I was like, I wanna die. And I had to get it. it was so bad. It was so awful. I loved that movie when I was like nine or ten. Yeah, I did too. Movie. I thought it was really like good and fun. I've never seen that it was one. so bad. But Jurassic Park is still good and it still holds up. Even yes. the special effects hold up because of yes, I'm gonna do. talk a little bit about that. Um, so first I discovered this a couple years ago and I thought it was super interesting that, um, Michael Crichton hadn't even freaking finished the book before studios were like scrambling to buy the rights to make a movie. Because they loved his work. Yeah. Because, well, because they all like saw the inherent like money in, you know, (laughs) an action movie with dinosaurs. Like, come on. Um, but Steven Spielberg and Crichton were already talking a little bit because, um, they had met to discuss, uh, the screenplay that would eventually become ER. Okay. Um, and so Crichton ER? had talked like the, the show. show. Oh, yeah. I forget he wrote that. Yeah. I know. I do too. Spielberg was behind ER. No, Crichton was. Oh, Crichton. Oh. Crichton wrote it. Um, so he kind of was like, here's this screenplay. And also I'm working on a book about fucking dinosaurs being genetically engineered. And so Spielberg was like, this sounds awesome. But he was doing something else. And now I can't remember what it was. Spielberg? Yeah. He was working on... Um, the Flintstones movie. When did oh. Jurassic Park come out? Ninety three. Okay. Um, nope. Forrest Gump would be after that. He didn't um, do Forrest Gump. It was another kids that was movie. The it was a kids movie. We're back. A dinosaur story. No, what was it? <laughs> that came Let's out just after. Look it up real quick. Yeah. Um. E. But anyways. No, it wasn't E.T. It was something like. Oh shit. When did uh, Indiana Jones three come out? No, it wasn't. That. You guys, you guys are looking it up. Yeah. Anyways, um. So, the studios were, like, bidding on it, and I have, like, the other studios that were bidding, and you guys are going to, like, crap your pants. This is so hilarious to me. So, it was three different studios, but these were the directors that would have been, like, attached to this. So, the choices were Tim Burton. Batman. Can you imagine a Tim Burton Jurassic Park? No. no. Because it would be terrible. It's early Tim Burton. I it's, don't think it would have been as... I don't, it would not have been, been what we got now. It wouldn't have been as Hot yeah. Topic. I think it would have... Um, Richard Donner, Superman. who did uh, Goonies, The Omen, and the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman. That actually would have been interesting. It would have been... I, all of these... Like, I want to see the alternate universe where these people made Jurassic Park, but mm. I still think that Steven Spielberg was the best he choice. He did do Hook. Hook. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. It was Hook, and then it was Jurassic Park, and then it was Schindler's List, which yes. I'm going to talk about. Hook is a fabulous movie, so, you know. Yeah. Um, so. It's not that great. The other it's guy. No, it's not. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. fun. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, I'll give you that. It's on my top 25. <laughs> I wonder if that's how it. I just, like, made that connection. That mm-hmm. must have been, like, how Samuel ended up in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Interesting. Anyways, so 
Richard Donner, oh who did uh, The Goonies, The Omen of all fucking movies. I I had no idea that the guy that directed The Omen and the guy that directed The Goonies was the same person, yeah. and it, like, blew my mind. Um, and then also a guy named Joe Dante, who did Gremlins, Gremlins Ooh. 2, and Small Soldiers. I think Gremlins oh, 2, like, wrecked him. Small Soldiers. Yeah. Do you remember that travesty? It was better than Gremlins 2. I'll yeah, give I'll that. give you that. <laughs> um, so Spielberg... And Universal, like, won the rights to uh, Crichton's book, which they gave him, like, a ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. um, for the screenplay. As they should have. Yeah. And it was funny. Uh, Spielberg was ready to work on Schindler's List, and he was like, I want to do this, like, right now. And the studio was like, first you need to make Jurassic Park. And he was like, <laughs> fine, I guess. And then he goes on to make fucking Schindler's List, yeah. which, like, Schindler's List them. is... It's incredible so and good. such a it's like traumatizing. But yeah, it's yeah. So I've only been able to see watch it like two times. I've only seen like it once, weeks. and it's, we we watched it in high school, yeah. and we had to get like a permission slip signed and everything. Like yeah. it was intense. Um, so some of the people, I think that my favorite, one of my favorite things about Jurassic Park is the um, like the special effects because they were so groundbreaking at the time. The noise that the T Rex makes is just spot. On. It's so good, and uh, from what I like, I don't know. Obviously, I've never heard a fucking. Yeah, how many T Rexes have you heard? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, which is why I beat you to the fucking punch, Cameron. Fun fact: I recently read an article where scientists speculate the actual noise that a T Rex would probably make would sound like a duck quack. But Amazing. that's all right. Everything you, you hear about T Rex makes sound, and that's what it gave me. Everything yeah. you hear about the T Rex makes it better. It had feathers. It makes a duck sound. Didn't yeah. they also say that it couldn't really run? Yes. Yeah. Recently. Oh because man. His legs. his legs are. Yes. Oh. Canon T Rex is so good. Canon <laughs> nature. Canon. I really like the way that they portrayed. Yeah, and the so one of my earliest memories is like, not earliest because that's ridiculous. I was probably like ten or something, but I have a really strong memory of like obsessively watching the special features on this DVD because it's like the collector's edition yeah. and it has oh, all yeah. this stuff. It has like how they made the animatronics and all the like sound work and they talk about like the different animals they use to make all the dinosaur noises and it's actually one of the like sound guys Chihuahua making yeah. some of the noises for the T-Rex and it is hilarious. Um, so the visual effects guys that worked on it were Stan Winston who's super famous. Um, he did the animatronics. Um, a guy named Phil Tippett who did um, he started out doing the stop motion because originally a lot of the dinosaurs were going to be stop yeah. motion mm-hmm. and they actually like completely fleshed out the scene where the raptors are chasing the kids in the kitchen yeah. and it's on it's on the DVD and it's it awful awesome. it's it's oh, cool it's so like cool. it's no, really that's neat my, that's oh, my favorite scene I would rather so watch scary. that movie the we'll thing. watch it it's it's actually really cool to watch but it didn't work right for what they were going for they wanted this like hyper realistic like scientific movie and it just didn't work and they like their tongues flicked out and all this stuff um did you ever see the phil Phil tippet meme no i don't think so so it's a screenshot of the uh the credits and it says dinosaur supervisor phil tippet yeah and it says uh you had one job phil one (laughs) job (laughs) i do remember that now so they gave him that title because um the guy from Industrial Light Magic, they did all the digital effects. Yeah. And so Spielberg wasn't happy with the, the like, stop-motion dinosaurs. And the guys from Industrial Light Magic were like, check this shit out. <laughs> and they, like, rigged up the T-Rex in computer animation. And Spielberg watched it and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yes. Um, and he said to Tippett, the, uh, the claymation guy, he said, it looks like you're out of a job. And what do you think that Tippett said back to him? Fuck you. Anyone else? I am. He said, don't you mean extinct? 
Oh. And that's in the movie. They actually put that in the movie. Clever. Shit, so that's good. Clever girl. So <laughs> that's also in the movie. Um, <laughs> Phil Tippett stayed see. on after they decided to go mostly digital. Um, and he like because like people that do stop motion, they have to study all the animal movement yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So that's how he became the dinosaur like supervisor. <laughs> um, because he was like a consultant to the digital animators in like how they would properly make the animals move. Um, so, yeah, that was, like, the coolest fucking special effects ever, <laughs> especially growing up. Like, I yeah. had no, oh, it's like, so I good. had no, like, disbelief. Like, I completely yeah. accepted yeah. that that was a dinosaur. <laughs> and, it oh looks like a fucking dinosaur. It looks like a dinosaur. Some yeah. of the stuff in the special effects is, like, so good. Like, so the, the scene where the T-Rex first bursts out of the pen and he's crushing the cars and stuff, yeah. that is actually a giant robotic, like, T-Rex. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's so fucking hilarious because they, they have, like, the fake rain, you know, in the studio. They're not actually outside because it's a giant, expensive robot. Yeah. Yes. So they've built this set, and they have the, like, rain machines going. And it's robotics in the early 90s, so it's not holding up super well. <laughs> and the T-Rex just, like, it's, like, glitching. It's, like, trying to, like, roar, and its arm starts twitching, and its head's, like, going everywhere. We have to watch it. It's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that is just so funny. And they had, like, the actual uh, Triceratops that's, like, sick and it's breathing. That was a robot. Oh. So all this stuff is just so impressive. Even now, like, looking back. Yeah, I mean, I would be is. impressed if that was in anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jurassic Park went on to be, at the time, the highest grossing film ever. Um, and it held that record until Titanic came out in 1997. So it held the record for, like, a while. Yeah. And that's... The thing that beat it is something that... Yeah. It was, was another like, groundbreaking. Yes. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it deserved it. But I'm pretty pumped for um, the new Jurassic World movie to come out. I didn't like the first Jurassic World. I liked it. I, I understood where they were coming from with it. It was very nostalgia-heavy. It was really... What? I thought it was scary. Like, I, I really kind of enjoyed the horror aspect of it. I was not scared of um, anything about in that about movie. I can, the new one, how we think it's a few years later. Uh, this uh, The one that's just coming out? Yeah, the one that is coming out? It must be, yeah. Yeah, it sounds. It seems like it's yeah. Not that's there's going to be like, like a time a skip time or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to see it. I don't know that it's going to be good. I mean, I didn't think that Jurassic World was like great, but it was it's better than Park. I was entertained yeah. by it. I'm... I just hope that Bryce Dallas Howard is still running around with her high heels. I hope so too because <laughs> I loved that. I loved that scene. That was hilarious. Um, it bugged me that the movie seemed to punish the wrong characters yeah. with like increasingly gruesome th- like the babysitter who did nothing wrong yeah. gets like the most drawn out horrifying death and yeah. then like the real villains like die off screen or some shit like that it's... yeah and Jimmy Buffett lived and Jimmy Buffett lived <laughs> do we know that do we see him get off we just see him well he, he didn't see him die lived. so he probably lived okay jerk <laughs> I have you guys seen like uh, Lost World in Jurassic Park 3 yeah. I have, yes. but it's been years. It's Man. been a long time. I actually really like both of those. I didn't like the second one growing up. I was terrified of it, honestly. It scared the shit out of me. Because the raptors were always the ones that scared me. The so raptors like, are freaking scary. They're scared. really scary. Yeah. I was not scared of the T-Rex. First of all, like, I knew that the dinosaurs weren't real. But something about the raptors was like so uncanny okay. to me. But his daughter and... kickflips a, yes. a velociraptor. Yeah. Yes. Which is amazing. And they're in the books, yeah. too, which is really fun. Like They didn't just pull those kids out of nowhere. Like That's why the kitchen scene is so iconic. Because... Like, of course, the breathing on the door, but then you realize he learns how to turn the doorknob, and you yeah. see her literally stop breathing, like, what do I do? <laughs> oh, those kids are incredible. 
It's so good. My favorite part, you were okay, you're asking yes, what my yes. favorite part is. Um, when the T-Rex eats the goat and the younger boy, uh, Tim, oh. he goes, there's so much blood. And he's like so <laughs> he's into, like it. into it. Yeah. And that was me. That was me as a kid. Yeah. I was watching this just being like, there's so much blood. Like, this is so <laughs> awesome. This I is just, what dinosaurs are. The most like, interesting thing I got about was the most realistic thing where he's like crawling down. It's taking forever. And she's flipping on the switches. Yeah. It's like, get down, you fucker! Like, <laughs> yelling at a, like, nine-year-old kid. Yeah. And then it's like, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, and then, of course, he, like, gets electrocuted yeah. off. But. Another thing that I think has to be mentioned about this movie is John Williams. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, thank you. Incredible. That music yes. is This is a score on. that just makes you feel wonder. Yeah. And, you know, when you're on the island, you see all the dinosaurs, it's just mind-blowing. And then he can go into really intense moments, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just make you feel scared shitless. Yeah. You know? It, it's... I would compare it as a combination between, like, the Harry Potter score meets the Jaws score. Which is hilarious, because it's... Yes. And Spielberg said that he was, like, trying to... He said that he wanted to make a sequel to Jaws, but on land. And I yes. think he succeeded. It's oh, already, yeah. Like, yeah. I think this is a little bit more, like... The beats are different because it's, first of all, it's a newer movie. John Williams knows how to do music for absolutely but, anything. Yes, he does. Jurassic he's Park, like, man. I don't, he's he can't his, be replaced. He's no. in his late 80s he's and so, he's still, still doing, doing it. it. Yes. Yeah. We learned at Trivia that he's won more than 20 Grammys. He's had like 49 Oscar nominations. Oh, I, I did look that up. I believe those, yeah. Because like, his records sell whenever he does a film score. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. 20 Grammys. Who would think John Williams until you hear like no shit? Yeah, <laughs> you're like of course, of course. Yep. of course. Anything else? Do you guys have any like questions about Jurassic Park for me? Because I love it so much. I could talk. I could do like an entire podcast on its own just about Jurassic Park. Do you want to mention the different endings between the book and the movie? Oh man, in the book, John Hammond dies gruesomely. Who? The old guy that like Ooh, opens the park. No. Yeah. He is not like sympathetic in the books at all. He's a dick. Oh. He's like a piece of shit. He's oh. the guy that's played by Attenborough. Yes. Yes. He is just like this money hungry. He's not. He's only concerned with himself. He doesn't give a crap that his grandkids are dying. Like oh. he does not care. Okay. He's trying to save himself. I kind of like. And the he like. Beavers. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> did too. But it was interesting. It was just like. He just dies gruesomely at the end. And I have a question. Do you have a favorite performance in this movie? Um, I know Cameron's. <laughs> How do you know I'm? What is yours? Uh, when the guy from Seinfeld gets bit in the face. That, gets, that used to scare me. That used to scare me really bad because I, I've always had like vision problems and mm-hmm. that was like my biggest fear was like uh, not being able to see and that scared the shit out yeah, of me. Yeah, I like when the that umbrella dinosaur it's pretty scary. pops his frills out and says, the Hello, Dilophos- Newman. The Dilophosaurus. He doesn't say that. <laughs> Kills the guy from Space Jam. <laughs> I love Sam Neill in that movie. I also really like um, the young, I can't remember her name, the young girl. Yeah. Um. I think she's an amazing actress, and yeah. she's so, like... She didn't really, really... I love her. She's... When she's, like, on the computer, and she's like, I'm not a nerd, I'm a hacker. <laughs> it's, like, 90s, like, graphics. It's, that's not how computers work, but that's they needed a visual aid. Yeah. It's so good. Katie. Good stuff. Have you read the original, before Jurassic World was even, like, considered, the original pitch for a fourth Jurassic Park? I think you've told me about it, but I don't remember. The Please gist was... I don't remember exactly what prompted it. They go back to one of the islands... Because uh, military guys have taken it over and are trying to get the research 
from the dinosaur experiments to make dinosaur-human hybrid super soldiers. Yes! There's actual, like, concept art out there of, like, a Triceratops person that's, like, ten feet tall and raptor men. And I want that, but I don't want the Jurassic Park name on it. There's I a, want that as a separate movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a fan theory yeah that I the, agree with uh, Katie. No the, Jurassic Park name. There's a fan theory that the Indominus Rex has human DNA, and that's why it's so smart. Yeah, I've that. heard a lot of stuff that says, like, especially with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character and that yeah. being... <laughs> So I'm interested in the dinosaurs <laughs> for military applications that it seems like that's the direction the movie might be going. Huh. Interesting. Especially if you consider that the dinosaurs are cool, but it's always been kind of a crappy theme park. Yeah. Like, why would you make the Indominus Rex a dinosaur whose one of its key abilities is to be invisible? Like, why would <laughs> yeah, you Yeah, you wouldn't want to, like, go and see that. And in the first one, they've got the raptor pin, and you can't see the raptors. You just watch the cow get lowered in. It's like, who is that for? Clearly, this is not... Well, they, First and foremost, an amusement park. I don't know if they say... I can't remember now if they say it in the movie, but definitely in the book they mentioned that it's almost like whales, like where you can go underneath and you mm-hmm. can see into the jungle. Yeah. But the raptors aren't going to want to be seen. And that's kind of the point is like the theme park in Jurassic Park isn't finished mm-hmm. yet. They're going there to like test run it and yeah. it's, it's not working that's anyways. That's what's great is they're trying to figure it out. Yeah, even yeah. before the dinosaurs escape, like it, yeah. it's not working My favorite well bit for is them. the first sign of that is when they're in the helicopter and the seat belts aren't working. <laughs> because one of the seatbelts has two female ends. Yes. Oh, get it. Which he ties together to make, to it, make work. it work. Nature uh, oh finds a way. Nature does uh, find a way. Oh, my other favorite part, and I think our friend Solange would agree with me. Jeff Goldblum shirtless. Jeff Goldblum shirtless oh. with his legs stretched out. Just kidding. No, nah, I, I mean, it's fair. That's <laughs> yeah, totally fair. So you mentioned. Um, how like things were like unfinished because mm-hmm. stuff keeps going wrong in the book. There's like a whole like act where they um, they're staying in the like unfinished hotel. They're not there for just a day in the book. Mm-hmm. They're there for several days, and it's like a big plot point that like they can't get out of the hotel because it's not <laughs> done correctly. Like oh. they can't open the skylight or something. I can't remember now, but they can't like get out because it's, like it's like so cheap. Like, nothing works right in the hotel, and it's. It's like the Rio Olympics. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but anyways, I could seriously talk about Jurassic Park forever, so. Uh, moving on. The one, the one last thing I want to mention about the book and the movie is the uh, the fire bombs at the end where they kill some of the main characters. Yeah. Don't they kill, um, what's his name? Not one of the children. No. Malcolm? Malcolm. No, he comes back. In the book, they kill him. No. No. I don't I think, think so. I think he's supposed to die in the book. I think he dies in the book and then that. comes back in the sequel. The second book is like someone asks, hey, didn't you die? And he said, no, that was misreported. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. See, that's why. I feel like I read that somewhere. I, I don't know. I need to reread so that, like apparently. Yeah. It was, it was, he, was, he, was, he was planning to kill him off in the first book and then was like, oh, wait, I need someone to tell the sequel. And then the movie got a sequel, so he's like, I might as well write a sequel book. That's my understanding of how it went. Mm-hmm. So Which the, the sequel is actually the book is excellent. The movie sequel did that come before the book sequel? After. After. So. But it was optioned for a sequel before he started writing the book. Mm-hmm. He made a shit ton of money. Like he's still he's making like, money. Oh, sure. oh absolutely. Yeah. He Michael like he Crichton? put it like a yeah Michael he put it like a clause. He's in not there. making money anymore. He's what? dead. Well, what? He passed away like it's a few years That's ago. Fine. Well, what? the state would still be making. Money. Yeah. How the fuck did I not know this? I don't know. Holy moly! Yeah. Do you know when he did? Like 2011? He's been dead for like seven years. Are you serious? Wow, I am oblivious to the world around me. <laughs> I cannot believe that. He died 2008. 2008. What the actual fuck? No, I cannot believe I did not know that. 
I don't know. My mind is completely blown. Yeah. I think I remember he was hearing 66. about that. 66. Holy moly. They keep publishing his unfinished works, though. So yeah. That must be why I thought that. He still has books coming out. Even he though left he's quite a bit of material behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. But a lot, of, a lot of the unfinished works are unfinished for a reason. Yeah. I'm sure. That's, that's wow, I can't believe I didn't know that. I feel really bad now. Well, it's like the Dune series. Now everyone publicly knows that I didn't <laughs> know Michael Carton was dead. But yes, his estate. It wasn't made public till his of money. Hmm. His estate is probably falling in it. Anything connected with Jurassic Park? You know who else had lymphoma and it wasn't Can published? Not in the episode on lymphoma. <laughs> Bob Ross. Because <laughs> oh! I was going to talk about Bob Ross, and then I was like, "That's too sad." So now we're another day. I don't Can think I next time. Yes, I'll talk about Bob. Good things about Bob Ross next good time because he is a great Ross. person. Tell his whole story. I will. He's really. A good person. Yes. Okay. Uh, we'll end on Jurassic Park, which is a great film. Are we going to watch it after this? Maybe. I'm so up for that. Oh, I've, I've got something good to end on. Uh, one of the, um, one of the, uh, uh, oh, what are they called? The mentors in my um, my graduate program wrote lyrics for the uh, Jurassic thing. Uh, Jurassic Park theme song. Cool. It goes, there are dinosaurs, there are dinosaurs. <laughs> Did they record a version no. of this? <laughs> um, you should. Of I've heard yeah. holy fucking shit. It's a dinosaur. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what the fuck? <laughs> Accurate. Yes. So we'll end on that. Um, That's great. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Nope. <laughs> do you guys have anything you want to plug? Uh, we've got our podcast. It's got, got a, podcast. a Twitter and an Instagram that haven't updated since Sweet. the What's first What's its name again? You're going to hate this. Yep. You're going to hate this. Yeah, well, but I don't hate it. I really we'll enjoy listening get to it. Some <laughs> more online content by the time this airs. Yeah, right now we're just on SoundCloud. So it'll be a month, so you guys will be. Yeah, yeah we'll have plenty of time. God, hopefully, yeah. we're gonna do it this right, coming we'll week. Have maybe four Sweet. episodes out by then. Hopefully. Yep. Woohoo! Matt, you have anything you want to plug? I don't think so. All right then. Uh, until next time, listeners, uh, have a good week.